Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to healthcare where hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation care for one another spiritually and financially when a medical need arises. It's not insurance and there are no network restrictions, which means you choose the doctors, treatments, and hospitals that are right for you. It's affordable and you can join today. Healthcare sharing is biblical. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And that's what Samaritan Ministries does. Whether it's a broken bone, cancer, or some kind of other medical emergency, you're not limited by network restrictions. You get to choose your healthcare provider that works best for you. You then send your bills directly to Samaritan Ministries, and they'll notify members to pray for you and send money directly to you to help pay those shareable bills. They also have 24-7 access to medical professionals by phone or email, which is going to allow you to get medical advice before you visit the doctor and save you time and money. If you're interested in joining this community, make sure to go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash DadTired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash DadTired to learn more. Roland, really excited to have you on, man. I saw this book, Raising Sons of Promise, and it caught my attention. And then I saw the subtitle, A Guide for Single Mother of Boys. And then I thought, oh, man, well... I mean, our audience is primarily for dads, but then I thought, you know what? I still want to have the conversation with you because I know you're doing a lot of stuff in the family space and like, you know, just figuring out what it looks like to raise sons who are figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so I wanted to talk to you. And I also thought, man, if we're serious about being spiritual leaders of our home and really like stepping up as men and leading our churches and communities, then guys got to deal with this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, we need to, we yeah. need to be aware of this topic. We need to step in where we can step in. So I guess, man, first welcome. And it's great to meet you, but also I'd love to just hear like knowing that our audience is primarily young dads, what would you just say right off the top? Like, here's why you should probably even be interested in this topic. You know, it's interesting though, because I, this book um, is my second book. Yeah. And my first book is actually, you know, what, what kind of inspired me to, to do the second book. And I think, you know, for any, any dad who's out there, particularly young fathers, I mean, I was a, a young father myself. I had, had my first son when I was 20 and my mm. wife was 19. Wow. So yeah, I was a junior in college and we had an unplanned pregnancy and ended up getting mm. married. And, and I kind of stepped into that. And I was a guy who grew up without a father as well. Yep. well what was the first father, book? Yeah, it's called Bad Dads of the Bible, Eight Mistakes Every Good Dad Can Avoid. Dang, man. Well, maybe we need to have either talk about that too or uh, just Here's come back. Copy. Yeah, that, yeah, hold it up again so we can see it. So our guys can, yeah. anyone watching on YouTube. Yeah, I like Bad Dads, Bad of, the Dads of the Bible. Okay, man, that's a re- are- that's really intriguing title. Yeah, and basically it's kind of linked to the second book because essentially what I did with this first book is I looked at fathers, men in the Bible, specifically through the lens of fatherhood. Mm. Many obviously stories you hear about these patriarchs in, in the Bible and this amazing stuff that you know that that men did. But when you look at them through the lens of fatherhood, what you find is that there's a lot of misses. And I think mm. God in his his infinite wisdom, you know, he left those stories unvarnished in the Bible right. uh, so that we could learn from those stories. And so I looked at the life of the looked at the life of David through the lens of fatherhood and you know, yep. kind of his bad dad mistake of of, he was paralyzed by his past, and that impacted his ability to kind of step in when his son raped his daughter and, mm. and his inaction there, you know, and so various other folks. But the one that the narrative of the story that really kind of inspired me around this book, uh, Sons of Promise, was Abraham. 
And uh, his bad dad mistake was abandoning his child. And, mm-hmm. and what I realized when I was writing that chapter was that, you know, most people think about Abraham and they think about him in his role as a father. They think about Isaac, mm-hmm. but Isaac wasn't his first son. Isaac That's was right. actually his second son. That's right. And the dynamic of what happened there was similar to kind of the dynamic that I lived. You know, my parents were essentially teen parents as well. And, you know, frankly, after a very short period of time, my father really wasn't in the home on a regular basis. And then by the time my, my mom was 23, she had, you know, four kids under the age of eight. And wow. Ended up uh, leaving my father. And I grew up most of my life in a single mother home with, with a daddy, you know, who was, I knew where he was and he, you know, he was kind of there for. Uh, holy days of fathering occasions, you know, birthdays and you know Christmas and stuff. But in terms mm-hmm. of doing life with me on a day-to-day basis, he wasn't really there. So as I was writing that narrative, I realized kind of like the old Moby Dick line that I am Ishmael, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously Abraham's first child, that, mm-hmm. that for 13 years, Ishmael had thought that he was the son of the promise. And, you know, Abraham had been wanting this child forever, you know, but yeah. I mean, he's 99 now and he's been wanting this child. And, and you imagine if you if anybody out there's really truly wanted a child and then you finally get the child, how would you treat that child? I mean, he's kind of like an Oprah thing. He's like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. like yeah. he's like taking him on his shoulders and just showing him all this and all this will be yours. You are the son of promise. Hmm. And then Isaac is born. Hmm. And then he goes to that 13 year old boy and says, essentially not so much. And so what I did, so that chapter was the most difficult chapter for me to write because the dynamic of what happened with me in terms of my dynamic with, you know, with my dad to some degree, and also frankly, what happened with my mom, who became sort of a proverbial Hagar, who really inspired me to write, to write this book. And so that was it. And so it's really kind of, it's helping her, like helping a, a single mom raise a son of promise. And, you know, when I was looking through that story, even when I was right, was writing Bad Dads, the Bible, the thing that really struck me is the last time that you hear about Hagar, you basically read that Hagar found a wife for Ishmael. Mm. And that's when God gave me this epiphany, which is sort of like the role of single moms in mm. terms of breaking the cycle. Yeah. Because she wasn't just trying to raise someone who would be a good guy, you know, or whatever. Right. She was trying to raise a guy who was going to be a good husband and a good father. And right. so particularly in cases where the father is not involved, you know, it's difficult for you to be what you didn't see. And so as a boy growing up with a single mom, I, I really didn't have models of what, what it looked like to be a husband or frankly, what it looked like to be a, a father. And yeah. so that means that, you know, a single mom in that context is going to have to step into, going to have to step into that role in a powerful way in terms of trying to help her son be a good husband and a good father so that you break the cycle. Because if you don't do that, then there's a high probability that he'll do what? The same thing that his dad right. did. And now you repeat the cycle. And so I'll c- kind of close this here and say, for guys that are fathers out there, there's a very specific role for you. Because one of the things I talk about in the book is really this role of, of you being sort of a double duty dad. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there are young boys that are growing up in your church that don't have fathers in their lives. Yes. And can you integrate that young man into your life in yes. some way, shape, or form and be a model for him? Because like I said, it's difficult to be what you didn't see. And so as you're in church with your children, loving your wife and modeling that, being intentional 
of reaching out to some young fellow that, that's not growing up with a dad. And I can tell you, a lot of single moms are looking for positive male involvement for their sons. And a lot wow. of that, frankly, in my view, should come, should come through the church. I couldn't agree more. I saw this just like two days ago. There was this video that went around. It kind of went viral. I think it was in Louisiana. There was a school that had, did you see this? Wasn't that so powerful? I'll explain it for the listeners who didn't see it, but there's a school in Louisiana that had, what was it like eight incidents of fights where cops were showing up within the span of, I don't remember what it was, but a very short span, like weeks or a week or something like that. They just massive problem with fighting kids, you know, being very unruly. And so these dads said, I'm going to, we're going to step in and just be a presence at the school. They didn't even, they they didn't say we're going to be security. You know, we're going to like rough these kids, you know? They just said, we're going to be a, a confident and kind male presence at the school. They haven't had one instance of violence or fighting. And then they interviewed the kids and the kids actually loved it. And that is like such a beautiful and really clear picture of what I think you're talking about. Probably a lot of students in that school who didn't have dads around, who don't have dads around. And then you have these males men who are stepping up and saying, I'm just going to be there. Literally just their presence. I mean, they're fist bumping the kids as they come in, they're talking to them, they're making dad jokes, you know, and, and just their presence alone made these kids feel safe. That's such a cool way of, of seeing men stepping into outside of their own family, but saying I'm part of a bigger story. And I don't know if these guys are Christian or not, but man, I, I get the impression that the, there's probably some guys in there that love yeah. the Lord, you know? And they really see like we're part of a bigger family. And I think that's what you're talking about. What does it look like for us as men? We're trying to raise our own families, but we're part of a bigger family. And how do we step in for these kids and especially for these boys who need some males, men in their life who are going to teach them that? I grew up, I just want to say too, I, I grew up without a dad around. So my story, even when I read part of what your book's about, I'm like, man, I relate to that. My dad mm-hmm. bailed when I was real young. And so I didn't have that around, but do you want to say anything on that? Because I do, but I do want to ask you. Well, yeah, question. no, I, I think that he, what you said about Louisiana, it, it's incredibly powerful. And, you know, I used to, I was president of National Fatherhood Initiative for 12 years ago, mm. fatherhood.org, if you want to check them out, amazing organization that yeah. really works to connect fathers uh, to their children heart to heart. And we did a series of uh, public service announcements some years ago. And there was one that I was reminded of when I saw that Louisiana story. And it was basically, I can't remember the park, but it's a park in Africa where they had released these juvenile male elephants Hmm. into the environment. And what they found in very short order, these juvenile male elephants started killing other animals. I mean, just attacking and killing other animals. And they were like, this is not typical behavior of, of elephants that, you know, to do that. And they figured out that if they relocated those juvenile males with one adult male elephant, they didn't kill anything. Incredible. And it totally changed everything. And we actually use that for, uh, to create a public service announcement around that thing. It's the same thing that happens here. It's that power that we have as fathers in particular, and that people are watching us. They're watching us. And I know as a, as a young boy growing up in the church in particular, when I got my girlfriend pregnant, in my mind, being a baby daddy wasn't even a construct that I could get my head around. Mm -hmm. Like not being a husband and a father was not in my wheelhouse. But think about this though. But I was growing up in an environment where that's what I saw. And most of my aunts were 
divorced and single yeah. moms. And yeah, most of the women yeah. I knew were. Single. So where was the, where did the difference come? And I remember as I started to think back on it, it came in church. It mm. came from me looking at other men who were being husbands and fathers and aspiring to be that. And so that made an enormous difference in, in my life. And so, you know, you have that opportunity, you know, as a father, I want to say this too, so you don't get overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, I got so much to do with my own kids and whatever. I always tell guys, look, look down and around. In other words, you know, you don't have to join big brothers or any of those things. Those are bad things, but there's probably a kid within your circle of influence. That's right. Yeah. Right. That needs a father's input. It needs that perspective that you could integrate in. And that's what basically what I did with my, my two sons. They had friends. And I just noticed these friends are just showing up and showing up. And I realized all these kids, they don't have dads. So I would just integrate them in. So if I'm taking my kid to the park, I take them to the park. We, you know, schedule some things. So you're not adding to your bandwidth. You're just integrating them in. And and I tell you, it has an enormous impact in terms of breaking the cycle. And that's what a lot of single moms need and are looking for is for men who are going to help to help them break the cycle. Yes, man. That's so good. I actually, I was teaching at a men's conference in Michigan just yesterday and I ended the conference we talked about how God restores broken men back into ministry. Specifically, we talked about Peter after denying Jesus, Jesus makes him yeah. breakfast. And then he says, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. And I, and I challenged the guys, think of the sheep, like what sheep right now need you mm-hmm. to, to be involved in? Like, who's the sheep that God's calling you to right now? And what, specifically on that point that you just made, I mean, it's as simple as coach a team. You put your yep. kids in sports, coach a team, even just be a volunteer, yep. you know, help out. And I can almost assure you there's some kid on that team who needs a dad around, who needs a positive, godly male influence. And I've coached my son's soccer team almost where we're at right now. Almost half the team doesn't have a dad around. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's real easy. You don't have to overthink it. Just, I love that you said, just integrate them into what you're already doing. One of the things that struck me about that video that was getting shared, you know, it's going viral and everyone's sharing it. And you hear all these I saw it on Twitter, women sharing it and like, I'm crying. This is amazing. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this because men are in such a weird spot culturally. You know, there's like masculinity, man, we don't need, you know, there, we don't, there's like, we don't need you kind of attitude. Sometimes it feels like we just get pushed to the side. We can do things by ourselves. But then on the other hand, you see women share these things. And it's like, oh, we need more men like this. We need more strong men like this. And it's confusing to guys. I think guys are just like, what's our role, man? I want to step up. I want to protect, but do you want me to? Do you need me to? Like, I didn't really ask a question there, but I think you get the heart of what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it, it what you, is. What are your thoughts and, and on that? For men, it, yeah, and I think for men, it's particularly com- you know, perplexing because you know, we tend to be pretty concrete hmm. in terms of how we, you know, we did, you, you want me to do this. Okay, I'm going to do it. Right. You don't want me to do it. I'm not going to do it. Right. Whereas women can be a bit more nuanced in terms of their communication style and men t- tend to be more direct. I think, at least from my standpoint, I would say don't take your, your sort of your marching orders necessarily from what the culture is saying. Yeah. Right. Because the culture is double minded. Yeah. Right. It's Nobody good. needs dads. Nobody needs dads until there's a kid in a bell tower shooting somebody. And then they're like, where's the father? Right. Until the elephants <laughs> right? are killing people. Then it's like, oh, right. we need the dad. Then they're, right. oh, hey, yeah. hey, where's his dad? But before that, you know, it's like dads are superfluous. They're nice to have them around, but not essential to the well-being of kids. So, good. so I would say, I would say basically is, you know, at least my own perspective is, you know, don't let the culture dictate the role that you should play in the lives of your kids. And also, frankly, in the lives of other kids in the culture. Yeah. We have a call 
specifically as men, right? To There's a community call and there's an individual call. To my standpoint, I love using Joseph in mm. scripture as a perfect example of that, because if you think about what happened with Joseph, he actually had a community call. I mean, Jesus was not his biological child, right? But he stepped into that role mm. to give us the savior of the world. In other words, he had a cultural call mm. that was very specific, even though he didn't have an individual call that this was, quote, his biological child. So wow. I think that, that that's the model. And I think the other thing, too, is that Scripture talks about in James 127, religion that God our Father finds is true and faultless, what to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, when that scripture was written, what was an orphan? It was a child without a father. Hmm. And what was a widow? It was basically a mother without a husband. Hmm. And so if you're interested in religion that is pure and faultless in God's sight, and we all should be, then we, the church, obviously, and we as members of the church, and men in particular as members of the church, have a very specific call to these cultural orphans and widows. Because see, back then, the husband and the father was dead. And unfortunately, in the culture we live in, we have too many proverbial husbands and fathers saying to their to the mother and the child, you're dead to me. Yeah. And so if you're going to be a person who's about religion that's pure and faultless in God's sight, then you have a specific call. So it doesn't matter what CNN says or Fox News says or MSNBC or some professor at some university. That's irrelevant. Just turn to the word of God. Yeah, turn to the word good. of God. There's a very specific call that men have uh, around this. And, and we should be seeking out those cultural orphans and widows, which are basically the fatherless, um, that we should be stepping, stepping into that role because God has designed us with that perspective. We're essentially uh, to the well-being of children. And I'll just give you one other point that kind yeah, of illustrates please. this. Yeah, Jesus could have come into the world via a single mom. I mean, Scripture could have been written so that Jesus just came into the world via a single mom. Of course, you'd say, well, uh, well these guys are going to try to stone her and all this other stuff. You think that God said, listen, I can do the Immaculate Conception thing, but protecting you from a bunch of guys with stones, that's <laughs> right. beyond my power. Right. Right. I mean, right. come on. No, no. Jesus came into the world with a father that an angel, equal call in a lot of ways, an angel went to Joseph and mm. called him to be a husband to her and a father to the child growing inside of her. That's how important your role is. Wow. That even the savior of the world, who could have come into the world, be a single mom in God's design, but didn't. He said, no, no, no. This guy is so important that I want to make sure I'm going to send an angel to him to call him to be a husband to her and a father wow. to the child growing inside of her. So it accomplishes God's purpose without violating his principles. So there's a role, for, wow. a specific role and a call for men that even is illustrated in the birth of Christ. And, I, and any guy out there, you should like, whoa, that should puff you up that you know that even with the son of God, that it was so important in his humanity that he have an earthly father. Why would you even listen to the nonsense out there in the culture telling you that you don't matter? Jeez. I mean, we could end there and just chew on that for a long time, man. That is so good. That's such a huge perspective. That really does. I mean, even as you describe that, I'm like, I feel what you just said. Like, whoa, that's a, I feel the, the weight of that. Um, I do want to dive into this new book. I'm, I'm trying to get there. But I, want to go back, I want to go backwards one more time real quick. And you're in the bad dads of the Bible book. How did you sum it up? Like, I want guys to go, I'm going to actually go buy a copy of that book as soon as we're done here. Like, what is the point you're trying to make at the end? What do you want guys to walk away with after reading? Well, I, I think there were a couple of things. The first thing was, at least the kind of broader call was, you know, don't get sucked into the perspective that just because some a guy is a good Christian, so to speak, that he's automatically going to be a good father. Man. Because you've got 
guys like David, who had a heart for God, who stumbled badly from a fathering perspective. That number one, because I think that Christians often kind of labor under that misconception. Like in churches, we got all this stuff to really help moms and kids. But what are you really trying to do to help men be better dads? Well, he's a good Christian guy. He'll be a good dad. Well, read read your scripture and you'll find out that, you know, when you look at him and look at David and and Abraham and Manoah and I mean, all these different characters, Lot, all these different guys, you know, that I walk through in, in, in the book, you'll see they each made, you know, these pretty significant mistakes that we can avoid, that God left right there so that we could see. And I think the other thing that we kind of ended in with was like these things, six things that, that good dads do. Uh, the first being that, you know, they affirm their children, which is so critically important, that they're physically present is mm-hmm. another one of the things that's so important for good dads to do, that they're emotionally available. That's critically important for them to do in terms of that, that they're spiritually involved. That's critically important for them to do that they uh, good fathers always pursue the prodigal always pursue the prodigal because we'll typically have one of those in the in the family if you got kids mm-hmm. you know you're going to have a prodigal and then the last one is that good fathers reach out to the fatherless so those six things that good dads do are critically important so yeah you can pick up a copy of bad dads of the bible it's just again there's only eight mistakes so i, I searched there's not nine or ten yeah. so yeah, yeah. You, get, you nail these eight <laughs> yeah and you're yeah. in yeah. How easy I, is that? I, <laughs> I need, I, seriously, guys, listening to this, I'm legitimately going to go buy a copy of that as soon as we're done here. Because everything you just said, like those those points that you just made, like he does this, he does this. I'm like, okay, well, I want you to expand on that for like 30 minutes. Even I know a lot of guys are going to hear he's emotionally available for his kids and guys are like, oh, geez, I don't know. Like I, I just had lunch with a guy at the conference. He's like, man, this is a hard area for me to be emotionally available, to hit on all the emotions. Very concrete. I got, you know, I've got like two emotions there. I cover a lot of that in there. Okay. Uh, my, my own process of kind of moving through that because that was an area that was that was challenging for me. Yeah. All right. There are moms who are going to listen to this and there are, yeah. here's what I would say in the mom front because there we have moms who sneak into this podcast and they like to be a fly on the wall and just listen in to what the guys are talking about, which we love that they're here sneaking in. But I think there would be two moms. There's probably a mom who does not have a man around and she's trying. She's like, I'm mom tired and I'm trying to raise these kids on my own. And I feel like I'm coming short. I don't know all the things that I need to do to make sure that they can be the children that God wants them to be. That's number one. And then I also think there are women who are listening, who feel like single moms when it comes to the spiritual side of raising their kids. Their husband Mm -hmm. works, he provides a paycheck, he's there. Maybe even he's a pretty decent dad in a lot of areas, but there's no real spiritual engagement. And so she feels like a single mom in some area. Speak to that mom, encourage that mom who just feels like, man, this doesn't feel like it's the way God supposed to have it. And I feel a little bit hopeless here. Well, you know, I'd say to the two types of moms, I think particularly the, the first type that doesn't have the guy around. The first thing I always try to tell moms is, is to release themselves from the burden of trying to be the father, because mm. you know, like, don't be upset that you can't be something that you're not designed to be. Mm. And so when I remember some years ago, one of the card companies came up with like father's day cards for mothers or something like, mm. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. That, I yeah. mean, and by the way, you don't need to be worried that God didn't design you to be a father. He designed you to be a mother, walk mm. in the fullness of that mm. from that perspective. But there are things that, and part of that is acknowledging that there's an aspect, and this can be difficult. There's an aspect of some things that your kid may need 
that are going to be missing because the father's not there. Like yeah. a lot of times people will think, well, okay, if the father's gone, I talk about this quite a bit in the book, they think about it like a pegboard. So you know those pegboards that kids will play with, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. and there's a peg that goes in and they think the father's a peg. And if we just get rid of the peg, then we won't have to deal with that. No, now you have to deal with the hole. Mm. right so yeah. if you're a kid growing up in a home with a dad well you learn to negotiate around that dad right and like i know i can do this with dad or that and then i have these certain expectations of that pet but if you're a kid who grows up without a dad well now there's the hole and you have to negotiate the hole and the problem with the hole frankly is that you don't aren't aware of it often until you walk in it and that's one of the things that i say that you know often the kids have a hole in their soul in the shape of their dad and that uh, God whispers into the wounds of their mothers that there's this one that that should love them like no other. And if he's unwilling or unable to do that, it can leave a hole that's not easily healed. And so you have to acknowledge that that fact that there is something that's missing there and there's a loss that's there. So the first part of the book really is really focused on Hagar, and which I think for a mom who has a guy who's not as engaged as he should be, you can feel a bit like Hagar with Abraham. That Mm -hmm. he's like, he's not there, even though he kind of is because good fathers are physically, emotionally and spiritually connected to their kids. And and maybe he's physically providing in terms of economics, but he's not providing fully physically because he's not physically there in terms of presence Mm -hmm. as opposed to presence. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he's not emotionally engaged because he's not leaning in, you Mm -hmm. know, and and, and really engaging himself in the emotional well-being of your child. And then as a result. He typically has no agency to kind of step into the spiritual world. So good fathers, they provide, they nurture, and they guide. That's kind of three ways to think about it. And the the father of your child might not be there. So you can feel that way. So I address a lot of that from Hagar's perspective. So the first part of the book is really about Hagar's journey and basically healing your inner Hagar. And I walk through dealing with loss, dealing with rejection, because at the end of the day, it's a universal principle in her story, which is a man made a promise to you and he didn't keep his promise to you or to his kids. Yep. yep. Uh, and that can be obviously a single mother dynamic, but frankly, it could be a, the kind of dynamic that you're talking about as well. So there's a healing process that you go through healing your inner Hagar, uh, forgiving your Abraham, if you will, really tempering your expectations. And then also how to deal with, you know, what if your Abraham returns, which is, I kind of talk about that as the prodigal father. Mm. And so I take the story of the prodigal son and I, and I change the places. So, so that, that the father is the one who's prodigal, so to speak, who's been out mm. with the pigs and all the other stuff. Yeah. The son is the one on the, on the horizon longing for his father to come back. And the mother has a challenge here because the mother can either be the older brother as described in the story who doesn't rejoice, or she can be different than that. So I use that. So now he starts to do the things that he's supposed to be doing. And you're kind of like, yeah, but you weren't doing these things. You see what I'm saying? That yep, whole thing. Yep, Whereas yep. in the story yeah, of the prodigal son, yeah, such a the father is like, yeah. look, yeah, he was lost and now he's found. We have to rejoice. Right. So anyway, so the first part of the book is really for her, is really for her. And then the second part, is really about understanding your son's journey, the journey that your son is on, understanding Mm. uh, his journey today, helping him be what he didn't see, uh, that perspective, the power of presence, the power of connection, you know, just giving some really practical advice in terms of that and helping her see his world. So if you're a mom who has sons, I wrote this from the perspective of this is the kind of stuff that I wanted my mom to know that was going on in my life. Yep that I didn't have the ability to tell her when I was 10, 11, you know, yep. eight, nine, 10, 
years old. I, you know, I couldn't communicate this. So I'm basically like, I'm your kid. And here's the kind of stuff that he would want to tell you, uh, but he doesn't have the, you know, sort of the emotional maturity to be able to communicate that. So, so I think for a lot of uh, women, this would be great. And the other thing, candidly, you know, a lot of moms know other mothers who are single mothers. Yeah. And so this is the kind of book that you could give to them to kind of help them on their journey as you walk alongside them on that journey. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the interview so far. I just wanted to pause for a minute and tell you a quick story. Uh, I was speaking at a men's retreat this last weekend in Michigan and man, God moved in some really incredible ways. Dozens of guys ended up giving their life to Christ either for the first time or just saying, you know what? I've actually turned far from God. I'm going the wrong way and I want to recommit my life to Jesus. It was super powerful. Just a room full of like strong men crying, repenting, coming back to the Lord. Uh, I had guys sharing with me things that they said they've never confessed before. I saw guys confessing sin to each other, repenting to each other, uh, encouraging each other to be the men God's called them to be. I saw small groups of guys form that are committed to meeting every week after that men's retreat to encourage each other to be the men God's called them to be. It's just really, really powerful stuff. And I was just reminded, man, like, the men in our country, our world are so, so hungry for this kind of thing. Just like, tell me the gospel and how it applies to my life in everyday life. Like just how does the rubber actually hit the road when I'm back home with my family? And uh, anyway, you can tell I'm getting fired up because I just, I'm like so passionate to see this message continue to expand because I think guys are so, so hungry for it. All that to say, we seriously believe that dad tired is God is using dad tired to reach men in really powerful ways. I see it week in and week out. And if you believe in that and you want to see it grow, I truly believe this. I've said it a million times that we're only at 1% of what I think God has for us. And so we want to see it grow. We want to spread the word. We want to spread the team and grow the team. Anyway, I can go on and on, but all that to say, if you would consider joining us as a monthly partner, it just helps us expand the mission. Again, grow the team, spread the word, create more resources so more guys can surrender their life to Jesus, come back to Jesus, be equipped to be the men God's called them to be. If this ministry is impactful for you and you think it can help more guys, you believe in it, would you please partner with us monthly by going to dadtired.com forward slash give. Again, that's dadtired.com forward slash give. Well, you presented a lot of questions that I think a lot of people are asking, specifically a lot of moms are asking, a lot of single moms, a lot of moms who feel like they're doing this alone. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of people who want to get this book to like hear the answers to all, because there's like, yes, okay, yes, yes, I relate to that. Yes, I relate to that. Yes, I relate to that. For the mom, and we'll just wrap up here, for the mom who's listening, and I, I get this a ton, when I'm a guest on a mom podcast, they will often ask, and I even get this you know, in direct messages and social media. They say, my husband is just completely checked out. He's absent. And I feel like I'm doing this alone. And is my kid's story going to fall short? Are my kids going to suffer spiritually because dad's not engaged? Either he's physically gone or he's just he's completely checked out. He's still there, but he's yeah. checked out. How would you answer that question to the mom who just feels really, she's feeling a lot of despair? Because she feels like she's doing this alone. Yeah. And I think there's a couple ways of, of kind of thinking about that. I mean, the first thing is that you've always got to have the perspective that you're never alone, certainly from a Christian perspective. You know, and I really take seriously where God says that he's the father to the fatherless. And I think that that's certainly physically absent fathers or, or fathers who are dead or whatever. But I think also ones that are maybe emotionally or spiritually absent as well. I certainly saw that in my life. 
with my relationship with my dad and some of the struggles that, you know, God really, he brought people into my life, circumstances into my life that really helped me, helped me have this vision. And, you know, and God doesn't waste the pain that you go through. And so I, you know, at times I would say, well, Lord, why don't I have this, that, and the other, but what he's given me a passion and a perspective here. I've got two books from that, that are helping other people. So God certainly can use that. But I think the other thing too, just in terms of the dad who may not be as engaged, one of the things to, to really start to have some question with him about, and, and frankly, reading bad dads of the Bible might not be a bad book for you to read as a mom. So you can kind of understand that and have some of these conversations with him is that much of how a guy views fathering can come from how he was fathered himself. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I struggled with when I first started with National Fatherhood Initiative was, okay, guys who grew up without fathers and then became absent fathers themselves. Like I could never get my head around that. That just made no sense to me because I had mm. this big hole. I was like, I can't. But what I realized is that if you didn't have a father in your life and you became an absent father, in some ways for some guys, that can be a protection mechanism mm. for them. And what I mean by that is your presence brings up his absence. Wow. So perfect example for me, there'd be times when I would be doing things with my sons and it would bring up a bittersweet memory. Like my dad never played catch with me. I'm playing catch with my kid. This is supposed to be just a sweet memory. Now it's bittersweet. Now what I do with all that, that absence, that, that rejection. So a lot of times, I mean, just those different things, you know, it's just sort of like, the whole emotional thing. I had an epiphany with my sons early on because I was struggling to hug my oldest son in particular. I'm like, oh, this thing's weird, kissing and hugging mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just seems weird. Mm-hmm. And my wife, who's a Texan and very direct, said, well, you need to do it. They need it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah. They need it. Yeah. You just need to do it. And I was smart enough to go like, you know what? I'm just hold my nose and just do it and just lean in, right? And just do it, which I mm-hmm. did. And obviously, the more I did it, the easier it got. And now my sons are 39 and 36, and I hug them and kiss them and everything. Yeah. And what I realized was that didn't happen for me when I was four, five, six years old. And so it wasn't modeled for me. So yeah. that detachment as a father wasn't modeled for me. I was about to repeat that. So part of it can be, this is what was modeled. And so I'm doing what was modeled, mm-hmm. which could be destructive in terms of the relationship with my kids and my wife and all that kind of stuff. But the other thing can be, it's protection for me. Because those things that you would think would be sweet things for me are actually bittersweet. And for me to do that, I have to go and now deal with that rejection and that loss and and all of that in my own fathering legacy. And it's too painful for me. So then I just detach. The very first speech I gave uh, when I was president of National Fatherhood Initiative, the very first one I did kind of, I burst into tears over a story that I was telling. It was the most embarrassing moment in my life. And it had to do with stuff that I had stuffed away for decades uh, related to my dad that I thought was perfectly fine that came up all at one time. And I'm not a big cry. I'm mean, I cry more now than I ever did. But mm-hmm. I do for many years, it's not who I was. I just wasn't one of those guys. You know, I played football. You know, we don't mm-hmm. weep, yeah. right? You know, and so and all of that emotion came up. And I just was, what was, well, that was me when I was a 10-year-old boy working through all that. So I just encourage having that discussion with him and, you know, rather than just going directly, like, why aren't you doing this, 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 this with the kids? Why don't you have a discussion with him about his fathering history? Wow. 
and what he learned and what was your relationship like with your dad and this, that, and the other. And what were the things that, how did he, was he there for there? How wasn't he there? Like really start to have that. And as you start to really seek to understand before being understood to kind of, kind of use a Cubbyism, so to speak, of, mm-hmm. you know, Stephen Cubbyism, seek to understand before being understood, you may find in the midst of his story, a key that can help connect him better to his children that you would never find if you just kind of went on attack mode about what he's not doing, if you will. Try to understand the why behind what he's not doing. And once I understood that about myself, or particularly the hugging, I realized, oh, I was about to replicate something that it was strange to me because it never happened to me. Hmm. And the insight, right, kind of moves you forward. And that's a big part of this book. I have this whole framework where I do sight versus insight in the uh, Sons of Promise book for moms. And, and that's the kind of insight. Sight's what you see. He ain't doing what he's supposed to do. Insight is why isn't he doing what you think he should be doing? Hmm. Dig into the insight piece so that you can give you a better uh, perspective in terms of what you're actually seeing and actually change what you're seeing, seeing in terms of that. So harder to do than just to kind of complain about it, but so much more powerful in terms of transformation. I'll be honest with you, man. As you were sharing that, it took everything in me not to like start weeping. I could feel all the emotions coming out, even if I talk about it too much right now, man. But I've had that feeling playing basketball with my son as a boy who longed to play basketball with my dad. And so I better shut up or else I'll, I'll <laughs> well, I'll be right there yeah. with you. I was an athlete yeah. too. I played, yeah. I played football into college. My younger son in particular, I did much, a lot of sports with my, with my sons. My younger son was a, a good football player and, you know, I went to all his games and stuff like that. And, and I would, I'd be on the sideline sometimes. I'd be like, dang, why wasn't I important enough for him to show up? Like, it's hard for you as a kid to kind of go, it, it's actually not about you. It's about him. But how do you process that? How do you deal with that and, and that rejection? That's, it's such a deep, deep wound. Yeah. Whether you're a woman or a man, it's such this sense of rejection. It's such a deep, deep wound. And the desire to be wanted, desire to be wanted. I'll just tell you one last story connected to this that kind of illustrates this point. You know, my wife and I got pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, we were Christians and we were very embarrassed about it. And we finally had to tell my older son who was conceived out of, out of wedlock about this because my younger son started, he was too good at math and he was kind of putting stuff together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we were like, we're going to have to come clean on this thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And so we we're sitting down with my son, uh, my older son, and he was probably about 13 at the time. And I had all this stuff prepared. I'm like, you know, cause I was afraid he was going to think I was a hypocrite. And that's actually in the first chapter of bad dads of the Bible in terms of David's mistake, the difference between hypocrisy and growth. And I, anyway, I won't steal all the thunder there, but that was the framework that I was using where I was afraid he was going to say, you're a hypocrite. You're telling us to save sex for marriage. And you did all that kind of stuff. Right. So we tell him this whole story and he just looks at us in his little 13 year way. He asked one question. Did you want me? Mm. Wow. I was totally the one question I wasn't prepared wow. even to respond. We just stumbled. Of course we wanted you, wow. but it just really, I never forgot that this notion of wantedness is so ingrained in our humanity. And so when you have a father who rejects you, it, it just leaves this, this wound. It just leaves a wound there. And so a guy who's not leaning into that at times, it can be his way of dealing with that wound is just not dealing because to deal would mean I got to go back and do that therapy on myself, so to speak, and acknowledge that 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 loss hurt. And that can be very difficult for guys to do. So anyway, I'll get man. off my soapbox on that. But that's, well, that's kind of my man. I, 
you pricked a nerve in me personally. I have a feeling there's probably a lot of guys in their car right now getting some tears in their eyes because we're talking about, we're talking to the mom and yet a lot of us right now probably feel like the little boys who are feeling all of those emotions that we've, we've pushed deep. I'm there, man. I, I think you pricked a nerve in me that now I'm like, oh man, now I got to like pray about this and figure out like, what, <laughs> what's there that I haven't brought up. Cause it clearly, even you just describing it was, was making me really emotional. And so God's, um, He's still trying to heal that that big hole. I feel like uh, I know you said you're not a hugger, but I feel like I got to sit down with a sage, a wise man who's older than oh, me, ahead of the you're game. Too and, kind. Man, I'd I'd give you a hug right now if we were in the same room because I I feel like you really blessed me and and ministered to my soul today. And I have a feeling you did that for a lot of guys and and moms who are listening to Roland. I can't thank you enough, man. This conversation was really thank really life giving, and I hope truly that everyone goes and close the podcast app. Right now, open up your Amazon app, go purchase copies of both of these books and yep. uh, read them and leave some reviews. But you're a sage, man. You've got a ton of wisdom. And I, you know, I'll just end with this for the mom that's listening that feels that kind of hopelessness. You're listening to a podcast with two men who didn't have dads around. Yeah. <laughs> and I always say this God created the framework of how he designed families to operate best. This is what it looks like for families to best operate, but he's not restricted to that framework. We break the house down. We go outside of the framework. We mess it up. And then God's not at a loss. Like you said, he uses that pain. He uses yep. all of it for his glory. And so you're talking to two guys who grew up outside of the framework that God would have loved for us to grow up in. And yet he still used us. He's using Amen. us for his glory and he will use your sons and your daughters for his glory even if it's not the framework that he would have loved for you to be in. So take Absolutely. And the Raising Sons of Promise book, the last story in the book is about a young man who grew up without his dad. It's his story. It's the same thing. So I just encourage you to lean into it. You can raise sons of promise Yeah. to be good husbands and good fathers, even if they didn't have those. But there's some things that you need to do, and God will give you the resources and the people in your life to do it if you're open to working through your issues and then helping him work through his issues and, and God can help you do that. So amen. Roland, I got in last night from a flight that was delayed at two in the morning, slept for about six hours, jumped up, recorded this interview tired. And yet I feel completely rejuvenized, rejuvenated. And you filled my tank, man. You filled my tank. Good. And, and I'm excited God. to start my day. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thanks. And thanks for your interest, man. Blessing to you. Yeah. I'm guessing if you made it through that whole interview, you probably were impacted by Roland as much as I was. I'm just reminded again, man, that God has such huge things in store for us and for what I think he wants to do to just really reclaim men back in this world to lead their families well, to lead communities really well. And so anyway, I would love for you to partner with us. You can go to dadtire.com forward slash give to become a monthly partner and see this ministry grow. I think God's got some big things in store. I also just want to say this last week, many of you from the Dad Tired community reached out and you were so generous to my family personally and, uh, and to the ministry. And I just want you to know that I, as I was speaking at this conference, I actually went into the conference kind of heavy hearted and distracted and had just a hard going. I went into it with a really hard week and the way that you guys loved on me and my family and uh, my wife and gave encouraging notes and were generous with your time and your money and your words. It totally filled my tank. And I truly believe because of that, 
I just had my tank filled. My soul was filled back up. I was able to teach from a totally different place. And because of that, I think God just used it in big ways. And many men gave their life to Christ. Lives were changed. So I cannot thank you enough for surrounding me. I felt like I had an army behind me. I feel like that with the Dad Tired community. Anyway, I could go on and on. I'll stop rambling. I love you guys. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for loving me and my family so well. I'll see you guys next week. See you.